This is the lesson all of us have been waiting for, I'm sure. (laughs) We've been looking at the seven deadly sins, a list of sins and even more than sins, thoughts and attitudes that lead to uh, more sins. The list has been around for centuries, and the traditional list is composed of, of these seven that are listed for you, beginning with lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy, and pride. And we've looked at sloth, we've studied that together, then we went back to the beginning of the list and studied lust. And now we're going to go to the second, and these are listed by many in, from the least to the greatest threat. But after lust, there's gluttony. And don't you know if I were to advertise that, that, uh, that we're going to be preaching on gluttony tonight, that, that everybody in Mobile would be interested in coming to, to hear it. Some have said, don't be too hard on this subject. And I say, well, I, uh, it may have something to say to me. Have you ever heard a sermon on gluttony before? Well, tonight, well, some of us have. But uh, this may be the first time I've ever devoted a whole lesson to the topic. It's often, most often associated with food, but I think it has other uh, ramifications. And we'll get to that in in just a moment. But by its basic definition, according to the dictionary, a glutton is one who eats voraciously or to excess, voraciously, meaning having or showing a tendency to eat very large amounts of food. Uh, Ravenous was a synonym that was used. The Hebrew word, however, translated gluttony in our Bibles means to be lavish, to be a squanderer. And I think from the usage of that word, you can see it has applications in other areas as well. The Hebrew word literally means to, to shake or to quake. And I don't think that has to do with a very large person, although that, that was the first thought that came to my mind. But it means to be loose morally, to be worthless or prodigal. Some have suggested that in our language it would be synonymous with the terms prodigal and profligate. Prodigal. What does that bring to your mind? Probably the prodigal son. The parable, the story that Jesus told about this younger son who asked for his inheritance early and he went and wasted it. In riotous living, we call it him the prodigal son. In a sense, he was gluttonous. And we'll see more of that as we seek to unpack what the scripture is really speaking to. So prodigal, wasteful, profligate is defined as carelessly and foolishly wasting money, materials, etc. Very wasteful. And we certainly see that in, in the story, the parable of the prodigal son. So that's some background about the word and the usage of it. But concerning the deadly sin of gluttony, notice first of all some of the problems that it causes. Number one, gluttony, this gluttonous attitude, focuses on the here and now. It focuses on the immediate attention on the here and now. And here's a scriptural example. Consider Esau. And if you have your Bibles, I'm going to be looking for a few moments in Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25. 
And he goes back to when Rebecca was expecting children. And there were twins in her womb. They were twins, but we'll see when they were born, they were definitely not identical. And they struggled even in their mother's womb. And the mother wanted to know if there was any significance to this. And the Lord said to her, this is verse 23, Two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. And one people shall be stronger than the other. And the older shall serve the younger. And at their birth, the first came out red, so says verse 25. He was like a hairy garment all over, so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out and his hand took hold of Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob or heel grabber or supplanter. And this was symbolic of how Jacob would, would become the leader in the family, the leader of the two. How he would be shown special favor. And this heel, hand on the heel was taken as symbolic of the intention of the younger to replace his elder brother and secure his advantages. As the boys grew older, the boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter. A man of the open country and while Jacob was a quiet man... Staying among the tents. Yesterday I went to uh, a track meet in Spanish Fort. It was actually, I think the sun actually shone for a little while. And I was sitting up in the stands and a young man came up to me and, and uh, I didn't recognize him. In a uniform from Alma Bryant High School. He said, Mr. David, I'm, I'm Jacob Moore. And immediately I knew who he was. It had been years since I had seen him. But Jacob uh, and his family were neighbors of ours when we lived in Theodore, Grand Oaks subdivision. And so thus began a long conversation catching up on time. Jacob is a twin. His brother Joseph goes to a different school. He goes to Theodore High School and pitches for their baseball team. He is the, the uh, I guess, more gifted athlete, though Jacob... It ran the mile and then the two mile, and I think he deserves commendation for that. But it was amazing to me, even when we knew them as little children, though they were twins, just a minute apart in their birth, they were very, very different, even as little boys. And now as they've grown older, one of them's five foot eight, the other's six foot, and, and they're different personalities, and I thought about that as I was preparing for this lesson, how Jacob and Esau were twins, but they were very, very different. They looked different. They had different interests. Esau, that hunter, Jacob, a quiet man, as one version states it, staying among the tents. And each of the parents favored one over the other. And that never brings about good. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. Rebekah loved Jacob. And these differences brought about some unusual and unfortunate events. We pick it up in verse 29. Jacob cooked a stew and Esau came in from the field and he was weary or he was famished. And Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with that same red stew for I am weary, I'm famished. Therefore, his name was called Edom. I couldn't help but think of a paraphrase. 
give me some of that stew. I'm about to die. Haven't you heard a teenager say that? Something similar? And so that's, that's his mindset. Jacob has something in mind. Sell me your birthright as of this day. I'll make a bargain with you. I'll give you some of this red stew since you're starving to death, but you sell me your birthright. That may not mean a lot to us today, but in that day and time, a birthright, the ownership of that would stand to, the owner of which would stand to receive a double portion of the inheritance. And that person would take over leadership of the family. Esau was the firstborn. He's the older. But Jacob says, I'll feed you if you'll sell me your birthright. Esau said, I love verse 32, look, I'm about to die. I, I believe that's an exaggeration, don't you? I'm about to die. So what is this birthright to me? It's not going to be any good to me if I'm dead. So, so give me that stew. Was this gluttony? Well, just being very hungry doesn't mean one is gluttonous. But the priority and the urgency that Esau is expressing here and the, and the importance that he placed upon satisfying his hunger reflects a gluttonous attitude. One writer says the famished hunter let the urgency of his hunger outweigh in his mind the great value of the birthright. And so the deal was made. Esau has his hunger satisfied for a moment. Jacob gets the birthright. Verse 34. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. And then he ate and arose and went his way. Then Esau despised his birthright. And Esau becomes a classic example of the individual who fails to evaluate properly the important things in life. The Hebrew writer comments on, on Esau and warrant, gives this warning. That we're to be looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble. And by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau. Who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. You see the message from Esau, and perhaps a lesson about the problems that a gluttonous attitude causes. I like to call it the Esau principle. Don't give up long-term blessings for temporary pleasures. You see, gluttony or gluttonous attitude causes problems. It causes us to focus on the here and now and miss out on some greater blessings in the future. Number two, and obviously gluttony, especially as it deals with food, defiles our bodies. First Corinthians six, the context is written for to teach against sexual immorality, that the body is not for sexual immorality. And the apostle Paul says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you're not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Our bodies are the tools that we have to serve God. 
They're temples of the Holy Spirit. And Paul says you can't, you're not supposed to use the temple of the Holy Spirit for immoral purposes. And the same can be applied to uh, this sin of gluttony. It defiles our bodies because we're abusing them. Seneca said, The pleasures of the palate deal with us like the Egyptian thieves who strangle those whom they embrace. Benjamin Franklin said, I saw few die of hunger of eating a hundred thousand. And we hear it from our doctors, from the health industry, that we need to develop healthful habits of food, rest, exercise, recreation, and work. And for some of us, it can be a struggle. I used to be able to eat anything and still as skinny as a rail. But something happened. My dad has said this to my mom. She made me into the man I am. <laughs> I said that about Patrice, and I'm glad she was laughing when I said it. But, of course, gluttonous as far as food, um, it defiles our bodies in that it causes them not to function as well as they could. In fact, this French proverb states it pretty astoundingly, glutton, one who digs his grave with his teeth. That's a horrible thought. But it pertains to this idea. But thirdly, Gluttony brings ruin. Listen to this proverb. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and drowsiness will clothe a man with rags. And glutton and drunk, drunkenness here would indicate an abuse of excess and and of, of laziness is included and, and not willing to do what needs to be done. And that proverb states, the drunkard and the glutton will come to, to poverty. There have been many studies done about ancient Rome and what led to its fall. I remember a book reading and, and referring to it often about the thing, the, the, the fall and decline, the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. And the reasons that historians have examined as to how that vast empire that was in power during when the New Testament was written, how it fell. One writer says this, ancient Rome fell primarily because of three sins, gluttony, drunkenness, and immorality. Gluttony brings ruin. It can bring financial ruin, like the, the prodigal. Again, a gluttonous attitude and being wasteful and, and taking his inheritance and wasting it in riotous living, as the Scripture says. But that, that was a gluttonous attitude, living in excess, thinking about only the here and now and only having enjoyment until all of it was spent. And you remember, he ended up in the pig pen, poor, destitute. But gluttony, this attitude, brings about spiritual ruin as well. It causes a person to turn his back on God and live for this world only. It, explains, it can explain why, why once good Christians can turn away from God and their families and, to, and go into immorality. 
But I want to expand this idea of gluttony as the scriptures do. Let's spend some time in this passage in Philippians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. There's a phrase I want to highlight and see what we can learn from it. Paul writes, For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. And then the next verse, verse 19 of Philippians 3, he gives characteristics of these enemies of the cross of Christ. Whose end is destruction, he says. In Jesus' terminology, they're, they've entered through the, the, the gate that's wide and broad that leads to destruction. They're traveling the road to ruin. That's one characteristic of the enemies of Christ. Coming back to the second phrase, the third phrase says, whose glory is in their shame. They're, they're proud of, they're glorying in things of which they should be ashamed. And the last phrase is, they set their mind on earthly things as opposed to heavenly things. After all, the next verse says of Christians, our citizenship is in heaven. But the enemies of the cross of Christ focus on things of this world to the exclusion of eternal, spiritual, heavenly things. But he also uses this phrase, whose God is their belly. Now that's a gluttonous statement, isn't it? Whose God is their belly. But this doesn't refer specifically of being a glutton for food. It's used as a figurative expression. And it means to be concerned only about oneself, one's own appetites, if you will, to the exclusion of other people. The concern of the enemies of the cross of Christ is only about pleasing themselves, satisfying their lusts, being completely absorbed in self. What I'm seeking to do here is to broaden our understanding of this attitude that made this list of seven sins that's been around for centuries that, that many have taught about and preached about and studied. And does it deserve to be in that list? And what can we learn from it? And from studying these things, here's a conclusion. Gluttony is not just about food. It's about focusing on the wrong thing. It's about being self-centered. Focusing only on self. It's about excess. And that can have... It can be expressed in many different ways. I like what one writer said. In, in the broad biblical sense, gluttony is overemphasis and indulgence in any of the physical appetites. A man can be a, a glutton for food, sex, fortune, status, or drink. Not in this list is the fact that, that we can be a glutton for things. We can be consumed with, with collecting things, possessing things, and we can be gluttonous in our attitude in regarding things. So it's not just about food. Biblically looking at this term and the attitude, it involves all of these things 
that affect us in many different areas. But how do we conquer it? Well, look at those, that list, and let's look at the opposite. To conquer gluttony then, this gluttonous attitude, we need to focus on the right things. Instead of just as the enemies of the cross of Christ, focusing on, on things of this world, we need to do what Colossians 3, 1 and 2 teaches. If you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Realize there's more to life than the here and now. And our focus needs to be on the, the hereafter. And how the decisions we make today impact our tomorrows. Impact eternity. So conquering this attitude means focusing on the right things. Number two, it means putting God first and others second. Instead of being self-absorbed, thinking only about our selfish lusts and gratifying those, our focus needs to be, what does God want? How can I please Him? But also, how can I serve others, which is God's will for me and for you? So put God first and others second. And thirdly, practice moderation. Practice moderation. Instead of glut, gluttony has the idea of excess, practice moderation. It's a Bible word. It's used three times in our New Testaments. It, it means soundness of mind, literally sanity, figuratively self-control. Practice moderation. The outline of biblical usage of this word means to be of sound mind, sane in one's senses, but also curbing one's desires and impulses, being self-controlled and temperate. Practice moderation. Practice temperance. Here's some quotes that I found that relate to it. Never go to excess, says Cicero, but let moderation be your guide. I appreciated Francis Willard's statement. Temperance is moderation in the things that are good. And total abstinence from the things that are foul. There's th some things we need to just abstain from completely. That are sinful as the word teaches. But there are some good things that we need to exercise moderation in. Because too much of a good thing is bad for us. In so many times, so many ways. <clears throat> Speaking of food, it's like seeing, well, this is fat free. So that means I can have four or five of these. That's too much of a good thing. Notice this statement by Joseph Worthland. Sin may result from activities that begin innocently. Or that are perfectly legitimate in moderation. But in excess they can cause us to veer from the straight and narrow path to our destruction. As we look at this list of seven deadly sins. And how it originated 
with these monks that had tried to separate themselves from, from society to focus on their relationship with God, only to find that they were still struggling with the same temptations. And that some of them agreed together, or Evagrius agreed that, that these were the, some of the common things that he struggled with, and others concurred. And one of them was this idea of, of gluttony, of having a gluttonous attitude. Folks, when we see how it's used in Scripture and how, yes, it refers to uh, food, being gluttonous as far as food, it also has applications in other areas of excess, of doing things that may be perfectly legitimate in moderation, but in excess can draw us away, can take us in the wrong direction. So let me come full circle. When it comes to food, perhaps this statement should be one that we keep in mind. One should eat to live, not live to eat. But I want to conclude with something Jesus said. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus had been fasting for 40 days. And he went out into the wilderness... And there he was tempted by Satan. And keep in mind the context that he had been fasting for 40 days. And if there was any time that a person would feel gluttonous, if you will, or have a gluttonous attitude in, in wanting to satisfy his hunger, certainly it would be at that time. But I don't help you remember as to how Jesus responded to Satan's temptation. He was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. And I have to think that's an understatement. Now when the tempter came to him, Satan came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Jesus is hungry. And Satan says, prove that you are the Son of God. Just command that these stones become bread and you can satisfy your intense hunger. But you remember Jesus' answer? He said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You see what Jesus was teaching us is to remember to keep things in perspective. Remember that some things can be good in and of themselves, but if they're abused, they can become, become bad. And remember there are some things more important than others. There's something more important than satisfying your hunger, and that is to have a hunger and a desire to do the will of God. Remember that the main priority should be to do the will of God. So there it is. A lesson on gluttony. But how, do, how does it pertain to our lives? Not just in, in matters of food, and what we eat and how we live. But how does it affect the way 
that we make decisions about other things? Do we have this attitude of excess in other areas? Are we gluttonous in in other things? And the call is to put things in perspective. To remember that we find life in Christ from the mouth of God, from doing His will. It may be tonight that through your study of the Word of God that you're ready to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. It may be tonight that uh, you desire the prayers of the church for your behalf, on your behalf. It would be our delight to pray with you and for you. If you need to come and respond to the invitation of Christ, please come right now as we stand and sing.